Welcome market participants to another three things in credit. I'm Van Hesser, Chief Strategist at KBRA. Each week we bring you three things impacting credit markets that we think you should know about. I'm sitting here watching Apple earnings headlines come out. And I must admit, I'm marveling at just how good the consensus estimates are on things like revenue. 81.8 billion forecast, 81.6 billion recorded. It's a lot of money flowing in and the street missed it by a tiny fraction. Maybe those analysts could help the Fed in their forecasts. In any event, this week our three things are, one, the biggest risk to credit. Two, banks and the Fed, a rare one-two tightening force. And three, KBRA DLD default forecast. Eric Rosenthal joins us to elaborate. All right, let's dig a bit deeper. So the economy has held up better than expected with a soft landing, no recession, the predominant narrative at the moment. And that's reflected in credit spreads. They're at their lowest levels in more than a year. Well, through not only recession levels, but also long-term averages. With the latest print in real GDP, 2.4%, well above the Fed's longer run estimate, unemployment at or near 50-year lows, and household and corporate balance sheets in the aggregate in solid shape. What's not to love? Against that backdrop, we challenged ourselves to come up with risks. What could cause spreads to widen out significantly? Here are our thoughts for the second half. First, we have not lost sight of the long and variable lagged effects of the Fed and the banks tightening credit. Although we have heard certain market observers speculate that the lags have shortened or gone away completely, the old bank analyst in me is reminded that that doesn't make a lot of sense. The first thing to acknowledge is that the economy typically performs well up to when the Fed stops hiking rates. Makes sense. The Fed is hiking rates because demand is overheated and or the labor market is too tight. Amazing how that perspective at times is lost in this instant gratification world. All right, we've tightened. Nothing's changed. Let's move on. Takes a while for the defenses on the part of businesses or consumers to diminish, especially when we have extenuating circumstances such as excess savings or an unusually tight labor market to factor in. So the possibility that the Fed overshot or will overshoot remains a risk, something that will show up in the second half if you believe in long and variable lags. And that narrative feeds into what might be the most significant risk, a correction in the equity market. Newsflash, the stock market feels toppy. On the back of a 26% bounce in the S&P 500 off of last October's low, valuations are stretched. Forward multiples closing in on 21 times versus a long-term average of 17 times. The CAPE ratio is 31 times compared to its long-term average of 17 times. And the index is trading well above its 125-day moving average. The drivers of this broad market move are one narrow theme, AI, one macro one, reduced recession risk, and one behavioral one, FOMO. Of course, we never lose sight of earnings growth, the outlook for which is benefiting from reduced recession risk and is now forecast to grow 10% in 2024, according to the consensus. That in the face of economic growth expectations that are forecast to slow materially in 2024. So pulling all that together, A correction in stocks is certainly not out of the question. 
So what happens to spreads when stocks correct? This is not a trick question. They widen. We looked at material stock market sell-offs over the past 25 years and found that on average investment grade widened out 87 basis points and high yield 318 basis points. So the fact of the matter is credit is not going to hold ground against a significant stock sell-off even if it is merely a correction. Now, one thing you can count on, if that were to happen, market participants and the business media will look to attach catalysts to fit the story, even if this is nothing more than a correction. Potential catalysts that could fit include a more hawkish Fed, slowing consumer spending, treasury market volatility, and or cracks in the labor market. All of those things are present to some degree, or at least easy to imagine, so the story is set. It's now up to shareholders to decide if they continue to see as much value in stocks at these levels. Credit investors would be wise to pay attention. All right, on to our second thing, a tightening double whammy. The Fed is hiking rates at the fastest rate in 40 years. Banks are tightening loan underwriting standards to a degree usually seen in response to a shock. None of this is news, except maybe to those that do not believe in long and variable lags. What's interesting to us and concerning is that rarely do the Fed and the banks tighten to the same degree at the same time. For instance, in COVID, the Fed was cutting rates before bank lending tightening peaked. Same in the GFC, same in the dot-com bust, same in the late 1980s commercial real estate bust. In this cycle, the Fed started its hiking back in March of last year and turbocharged those rate hikes beginning in the summer. Banks started tightening in the summer last year and turbocharged their tightening in the wake of this past spring's bank failures. So for all intents and purposes, both the Fed and the banks have been tightening credit meaningfully and at the same time through this cycle. Now, to be fair, credit has still been flowing to the vast majority of both businesses and consumers that were able to strengthen their respective balance sheets through the pandemic through direct transfer payments, as well as highly accommodative credit markets, both public and private. So apart from the riskiest borrowers in both the commercial and consumer sectors, where credit has already been curtailed, we haven't seen much in the way of credit crunch yet. But the seeds have been planted for a negative feedback loop to develop, where the economy slows and credit crunches, causing the economy to slow, etc., etc. It all feels manageable to us in the moment, but watch out for that loop developing in the second half. All right, on to our third thing, corporate defaults. Let me introduce Eric Rosenthal. Eric's been one of the most respected and widely followed experts on corporate defaults for more than 20 years. He joins us as part of KBRA DLD, our direct lending news and analytics platform. Eric, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Van. Glad to be here. All right, let's jump right in. Walk us through your high-yield forecast for 2023 and where we stand year-to-date. Sure. For high-yield, KBRA DLD forecasts a 3.25% default rate by dollar for year-end 2023. That equates to nearly $45 billion of volume on roughly 35 defaults. Right now, we've experienced $25 billion in defaults, resulting in a 1.8% year-to-date rate. Now, August is expected to produce a hefty $6 billion in volume, assuming Carvana completes its distressed debt exchange transaction at the end of this month. Western Global Airlines filing will also help lift the year-to-date default rate to 2.3%. All right, got it. So three and a quarter percent is clearly a bounce off of the low levels we saw through the pandemic period. 
but still below the 5% and even higher forecast we've seen by other market participants. Walk me through your rationale, Eric, if you would, for your below consensus estimate. Sure. So from our bottom-ups view, we don't see that kind of vulnerability out there, at least in the near term. Furthermore, the economy has performed better than expected, translating into stronger liquidity, which is a key factor in how zombie companies survive. Now, for a 5% rate, we need approximately $67 billion of defaults. That requires the final four months of 2023 to generate more default volume than tallied over the first eight months. And remember, the latter volumes would be really low if not for big defaults from SVB, Diamond Sports, and the impending Carvana, distressed debt exchange. While SVV was a surprise, we don't expect more out-of-left-field defaults, especially given the liquidity available on the sidelines. Legato Networks, which the Wall Street Journal noted this week is seeking a potential restructuring, was already in our 2023 forecast. Actually, a few defaults baked into our 2023 forecast could survive until 2024. On the flip side, Lumen and Dish are sizable issuers that we deem 2024 default candidates. Now, that 5% default rate becomes more possible if both happen to complete the large distressed debt exchanges by year-end, along with a couple other companies doing distressed debt exchanges before their anticipated 2024 time. In next month's default report, we will be introducing our KBRA DLD default radar, highlighting troubled companies. We will be showing this for direct lending later this month. I got it. Okay, so let's talk about recovery rates. Now, there's the perception out there that recovery rates have weakened. Are you seeing that? Yes, it certainly has. We're seeing levels reminiscent of the GFC and in 2016 when energy defaults dominated. On a year-to-date average, the levels are at 26%, while on a par basis even lower at 22%. Note that we use a 30-day market price as our proxy for recoveries. Recovery should get a boost, however, once Carvana's distressed debt exchange closes. I would also point out that syndicated loan recoveries, they're also quite low, at just under 50%. All right. So we've talked about high yield bonds. What about uh, syndicated loans? How do your default expectations compare to what we see in the bond market? Sure. So we actually have a more pessimistic outlook for syndicated loans with a 4.5% default rate by volume for year end 2023. And the reason? There's significantly more worrisome credits evidenced by a higher share of lower rated issuers here than found in the high yield space. Our syndicated loan default projection equates to $65 billion in line with what transpired back in 2020. The year-to-date default rate stands at 2.6%. That's really been buoyed by healthcare, really in vision, which comprises 25% of the entire default total. We believe defaults over the remainder of the year should mimic the year-to-date pace, as there are several loans with $1 billion or more outstanding in distressed territory. All right, so let's take a look forward. Now, growth into 2024 is expected to slow modestly. How do you think about the default environment going into and through next year, 2024? Right. So, so KBRA DLD, we're calling for a slightly lower 4% syndicated loan default rate at year-end 24. We expect healthcare to, again, lead defaults, although it could be more stemming from smaller borrowers versus 2023. For high yield, we forecast a slight bump in the default rate to 3.5% for 2024. A relatively constructive macro environment should continue to keep the high yield rate in line with the historic average over the near term. I got it. So thanks for that update, Eric. I should tell our listeners that you put out a monthly deck as well as a steady stream of name-specific updates on our KBRA DLD website, which is dld.k. 
kbraanalytics.com. Thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks very much, Finn. So there you have it. Three things in credit. One, the biggest risk to credit just might be a correction in stocks. Two, banks and the Fed. The effects of a rare one-two tightening force are far from over. And three, KBRA DLD's default forecast. We come in lower than consensus. As always, thanks for joining. Don't forget to check in on KBRA.com for our ratings reports and our latest research. We'll see you next week. Hello, listeners. Join me, Van Hesser, KBRA's chief strategist for in-depth conversations with credit experts in my new monthly podcast, Leading Voices in Credit, where I'll interview market professionals on the latest trends in credit markets. That's Leading Voices in Credit with Van Hesser. Subscribe now.